This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The number of deaths on our roads has reached a 10-year high. It's because of speeding and aggressive driving. The OPP says the total number of fatal collisions was up slightly to 288, but the number of deaths rose a full 4% to 315. That's 315 people, somebody's mother, father, child, loved one. The OPP says that speeding contributed to the loss of 81 of those lives in on the roads in its jurisdiction, and that's up from 62 in 2020. And fatalities linked to distracted drivers up 29%. It's a nasty shock. I would have thought the pandemic would have made things better, not worse. What are you experiencing on the roads? The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now let's go to Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP Highway Safety Division. Hello, Carrie. How are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on today. Okay, so were you surprised by this? Well, yeah, I am surprised, shocked, dismayed, and uh, and maybe a little bit frustrated as well. When we see that this is a 10-year high and we're just coming out of pandemic with a lot of people still working from home and, and maybe a little less traffic on the roads last year, uh, to see these numbers climbing, distracted, and particularly the speeding and aggressive driving uh, fatality numbers spiking up so high, that certainly is a pause. Uh, for us, and, and quite some concern that we need to, uh, you know, bring some awareness to this as well. Uh, do you have any theories about why? Well, I know back in 2019 when the pandemic uh, just kind of hit, and uh, you know there was very uh, limited volume of traffic, and that moved right through into 2020 and and through 21 as well, and. Um, that's right, I get 20 and 21. And uh, we were seeing speeding and aggressive driving all the time through the day, uh, in the, in the morning, the afternoon, weekdays, not just late at night on the weekends when you might see the typical, you know, street racers going out and, and taking their sports car out for a ride. You know, these, uh, collisions that we're investigating aren't all just exotic supercars. These are people, uh, driving way too fast for the conditions, uh, or for the traffic volume, uh, on all kind, kinds of vehicles, from passenger vehicles, pickup trucks, uh, you know, whatever the whatever it is, uh, you know, this is not just a, a certain demographic, but it cuts across all all ages and and, and gender. Uh, would you say that it is possibly because people are really frustrated? I mean, I look at construction, and it, it drives people kind of nuts, and it's everywhere. Well, sure, and you know, we're getting into construction season now, and as kids are going back to school and people returning to their offices, you know, we're seeing a lot of that uh, traditional congestion like we saw years ago, you know, returning, and, and that's going to slow people down, and it's going to cause some frustration, and we often see road rage uh, when drivers uh, get frustrated behind uh, traffic that's not going as fast as they want to go, and they start driving, uh, you know, erratically, weaving through traffic, following too close, and, and many of these uh, collisions are happening, you know, when it's an end of the queue, you have uh, con- you know, traffic slowing down suddenly, traffic coming along at full speed doesn't realize the congestion, and all of a sudden someone's in- plowing into the back of a stopped or slowing vehicle. And-, and when you have that speed differential, that's when uh, you get those serious injuries or fatal injuries. Um, I've got to say that I've got used to uh, basically being cut off at least a couple of times on every trip. 
Well, and that's unfortunate because that, that should not be the way we're operating our vehicles. We should be sharing the roads responsibly. And, and, and I'll tell you right now, even in 2022, uh, as much as the numbers show 20, 10 years back, we're seeing a resurgence and an increase in addition to what uh, we saw last year in terms of speeding and impaired drivers. And so as much as last year was a 10-year high, right now, as of today, we are about uh, 83, uh, sorry, what are we, uh, 60% higher uh, in, um, in in fatal crashes than we're, when we were uh, uh Last year, when it comes to distracted driving and people not paying attention, speeding-related fatalities also up from uh, from last year. But deaths overall, 58% more people have died already this year than by the time uh, where we were the same period last year. Can you tell us uh, who is who is getting killed on our roads in terms of a demographic or uh, the split uh, among pedestrians, drivers, and cyclists? Yeah, I don't have uh, the ages specifically or genders. Uh, bicyclists, we have not had any motorcycle or, or bicycle. Uh, we have had five pedestrians killed already this winter or in the, in the first three months of uh, 2022. And uh, when we look at the motorcycle collisions, you know, we were somewhat down. But uh, like we saw last year, 35 people were killed in motorcycle crashes, and, and we haven't seen that yet this year. Obviously, the season isn't here yet, but I've seen bikes out on the roads, and we've actually had a couple of motorcycle collisions. So as the temperatures warm up and the snow melts and the roads uh, turn into you know, great uh, adventure days for people to get out and enjoy uh, Ontario and the countryside, people are going to be out enjoying uh, bicycling, uh, motorcycling, walking, doesn't matter, cruising, wherever you're going. Uh, you know, as much as we want to get back and enjoy that, if you, as a driver, you know, are getting uh, caught up in the surroundings, you're not looking at that stopped car in front of you or that pedestrian crossing in front of you, and, and we just can't have that. And that's, uh, you know, what we just need to remind people, you know, safe, drive safely, responsibly, and share the road with all road users. Commercial motor vehicles have gone up as well in terms of collisions, and they represent a large portion of our deaths when there's large vehicles, you know, colliding or involved in collisions with smaller vehicles. Yeah, uh, I always try to avoid them. I find it scary. I'm going to take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Oh, Libby, thanks for taking my call, and uh, hello to Carrie Schmidt. Um, I spent my career driving in Toronto area for Greyhound. I've been retired for about 10 years now, and I've noticed that, and Carrie can probably attest to this, that I still go down to Montreal, visit my son down there in university, or I'm up in Ottawa. When I get to the third, when I'm coming east, from, or sorry, west, when I get to 35-115, especially towards Oshawa, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, or if I'm coming from the west, coming east, it, as soon as I hit Milton, and I listen to all the traffic reports, south of 400, or south of Barry on the 400, it seems like Everybody, the traffic is slowing down naturally, but there are these idiots who still think that they can do 120 weaving in and out of the traffic, and there's no respect for the for their traffic flow. Would you agree? Uh, we'll ask him. Thanks for your call, Ron. You're right on. Thanks, Ron. A great, great comment. And you know what? I noticed that as well. When you're out, uh, you know, out of the cities, uh, you have two lanes, four lanes, maybe six lanes uh, of traffic, and people seem to get into a bit of a rhythm, and they're flowing with traffic, and when you get into the GTA with express lanes, collector lanes, people merging left and right, uh, a lot of people just go and park themselves over in the left lane, and they uh, they set their crews to 110, and they don't care who's coming up behind them, but that causes frustration because if someone's uh, going faster than them at that point, now they're passing on the inside and that causes a lot of frustration and, and we just get a lot of uh, turnover of traffic. So, you know, you know, with uh, the bright lights and people uh, trying to get to their destinations, yeah, traffic volumes are higher and uh, yeah, we see issues. And, you know, of course, we're going to still see aggressive drivers all the way along the 401 or maybe up Highway 6 up into uh, Cottage Country or Highway 11. You know, there's, there's a lot of areas there that you know, we just need to yeah, slow down and enjoy the ride, right? Uh, Sergeant Schmidt, what would you like to leave us with on this? 
Well, you know what, uh, you know, as much as uh, I want everyone to get out and enjoy the roads, I just want them to remember that uh, you are sharing the road. Driving is a privilege. And, uh, you know, no matter of your experience, you know, turn, turn out, let cars pass. Uh, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. Use the mirrors. Use the left lane for passing, the right lanes for driving, and uh, obey the rules of the road, and we'll be in great shape. Okay. Thank you so much, Sergeant awesome. Kerry Schmidt. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. And uh, we continue with our roads and the terrible weather we've been experiencing is the perfect recipe for particularly bad potholes. Freeze and thaw, freeze and thaw. It not only makes them worse, but it causes delays in the fix. And you can see drivers trying to avoid the worst of them. And if they don't succeed, it can be a very expensive proposition. Repairing pothole damage on your car can cost anywhere between 300 and 6,000. And I bet on some cars, It'll be more than 6,000, um, and this according to people who know. Meanwhile, the CAA has launched its annual Worst Roads campaign, which allows drivers to vote on which roads they think are the worst or in the worst condition. Um, and I'd like to hear about all of that from you in the audience. The numbers to call 416-360-0740. And now let's go to Teresa DeFelice, Assistant VP of Government and Community Relations at CAA South Central Ontario. And Vince Sferaza, Director of Operations and Maintenance at Transportation Services for the City. Hello and welcome to you both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Libby. Uh, Vince, uh, can you tell us where you are at in terms of repairing potholes and uh, whether you're behind where you'd normally be if the weather was a little more normal? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Thank you. Um, so at the moment, we have repaired just under 44,000 potholes. Um, and that may I say not the ones on my road in <laughs> to work and back. Well, we we usually do repair um, in excess of over 150,000 potholes every year. Uh, but uh, yes, we're at about 40, just under 44,000, and um, we've had a slower start, and that's because winter, uh, winter. Stuck around uh, much longer this year. Um, January and February, we had, as you all recall, quite a bit of snow, and we had extremely cold temperatures. And uh, our crews were out uh, maintaining the roads uh, when it comes to winter maintenance at the time. Uh, we were 100% committed uh, 24-7 on removing the snow and dealing with all the other winter issues. Um, now that the weather has started to improve, we have had many more crews now uh, repairing potholes. So we're just slightly under from uh, last year and previous years, but we are catching up. In fact, the last few weeks, we've done quite a considerable amount of pothole repairs. Hmm. And uh, the budget is four to five million bucks. Am I right? That is correct. Uh, for 2022, we have uh, a budget of $4.4 million, and that uh, amount is um, an allowance for over 175,000 pothole repairs. And if we need to continue, we certainly will, but that is the budget at the moment for 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teresa DeFelice, it's been, I think, a few days since you launched your Worst Roads campaign, and what are you seeing so far? People have a lot to say, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I, I think it's a couple of things, which is, you know, this is what the CA Annual Worst Roads campaign is about. It's it's giving people a forum, an opportunity um, to, to have their voice or their Issues around the road, um, the road potholes, and and other factors, congestion, uh, infrastructure, and and put it in a more official place. Because what uh, we did a survey in January, and we said seventy two percent of people are are talking about poor road conditions, but they're sharing it with their spouses, their families, and their friends. Very few, just three percent, are telling their local government. Uh, Vince. 
is there a recourse if uh, you damage your car because of a pothole? Uh, is there recourse to the city, and how do you access it? Yes, there is uh, a uh, claims process that anyone can access um, if they've experienced damage to their vehicle uh, as a result of driving over a pothole. Um, so any resident or business can, in fact, uh, put in a claim. And that claim process is on our website, toronto.ca, and it'll take you step-by-step. One of the requirements is that the claim application be submitted within a specific timeline of when the damage was done. So I want to bring that to everyone's attention, that there is a specific timeline. Um, So that's important. But, yes, we do have a process. And I would just say to what... um, the other guests at Teresa, and how that information is very important for us. So very curious that such low numbers are informing their local government. We have 311, where we ask residents to submit a location of a pothole. We also have crews who do daily patrols across the city. And I would have to say that of all the potholes we repair, over 70, 80% of them are a result of active patrols. But the information that is provided by CAA um, and other organizations is also very useful for us. It's very helpful in helping us uh, prioritize areas where a pothole repair can be beneficial. So that is very useful information as well for us. Uh, so just back to making a claim, is there a limit on the money amount? How long does it usually take to get it processed? And I'm assuming that you need uh, uh, pictures or something like that. That is correct. Yes, there is a uh, requirement for photographs and a description of, uh, of the actual incident. Um, the timeline will vary. It'll vary based on how many claims are in the queue. And uh, I suspect that this year there may be a little bit more than previous years because of the media freestyle cycle that we had. You mentioned at the beginning of uh, your segment uh, that we've had in, um, in the last few weeks. Um, but um, the actual dollar amount per se, I don't believe there is a limit. But nevertheless, uh, you do have to provide some specific details of the damage incurred. Teresa, what advice do you have for people in avoiding the potholes? So first and foremost, we always say be alert, be attentive uh, to the road conditions, right? It can get, uh, we we talk about in other campaigns about not driving distracted, Um, you know, following the speed limits. um, You know, sometimes uh, the more damage is caused by the speed by which uh, you, you know, you're going to, to interact with a pothole or hit a pothole. And uh, if you're not sort of aware of road conditions ahead of you, that could be really challenging. Uh, good maintenance of your vehicle, especially proper tire uh, pressure. Uh, you know, there's a recommended standard for your tires. If you are underinflated, you, you run the risk of not being able to slow down or stop in time if you're trying to figure out, you know, how to react to a particular road situation. Uh, and and uh, over- can I just interject there that with the change of season, it does affect tire pressure a lot, right? You should be checking your tire pressure at least once a month. And and especially, you know, the, the roads are, are do cause a little bit of uh, wear and tear on our vehicles. Uh, that is something that, uh, you know, comes through with this campaign as well. And so, you know, checking your tire pressure often is going to be safe. If you overinflate your tires, and you, you can run the risk of popping your tire, especially if you've hit a pothole. So, you know, that those are some of the things that we definitely say. We know that, again, from our survey, you know, 65% of people are slowing down for bad spots on the road. 64% are actually swerving to avoid potholes, which we know is pretty common. Um, that could be dangerous or in certain situations, too, if they're doing it rather quickly and haven't really are not aware of what's around them. If there's a cyclist, especially in Toronto, lots of different road users, cycling, pedestrians, parked vehicles. So, you know, people are are reacting uh, to the road conditions. The best thing to do is be alert, uh, you know, maybe have some slower speeds, follow the speed limits in, in a lot of the city driving, and, and that will, will help you be able to handle the situation at hand. 
Okay, uh, people, we still have a few minutes left in this segment, and I really would like to hear from you about your experience driving. What are the potholes like for you this year? How are you avoiding them? Uh, did you get caught up? And did it put some damage on your car? That can be very expensive. Uh, and just uh, what it's like, I, I can tell you I drive through the city, and uh, it is... Uh, it's pockmarked. It's just there everywhere. And uh, I'm not assigning any blame on that. It's because of the weather, but it is quite difficult to navigate. So again, the numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And I'm talking to Vince Farraza, who is with the City of Toronto. He's the guy in charge of fixing those potholes and Teresa DeFelice from the CAA. Uh, also, uh, people, I'd like to know what you think the worst streets in the city are. And uh, Vince, uh, the timeline for getting most of it done, what would you say there? Uh, with respect to repairing our potholes? Yep. Well, we actually try to do it as often as we can. So if the weather is cooperating, we will send out crews. Um, it, um, not this year, but in previous years, in January and February, if their weather was cooperating, we did send out crews. Um, and in those particular colder months, we use a different type of asphalt. It's called cold mix. It doesn't have the same long-term repair benefit, but at least it makes the road safe. And then I can go back later and uh, apply the hot mix, as we call it, that we use in the spring and summer and fall. So, Spring, summer, and fall are definitely our busiest seasons, but if the weather is cooperating, we'll send them out um, as often as we can. Uh, what I'm asking is, when do you think you'll be finished dealing with the potholes? Well, I don't know if we'll ever be finished, to be honest. There's potholes every year. Um, I mean, for this season. <laughs> for this season, um, I, am both, I have all my crews out today. And I will be continuing throughout the spring and summer. Absolutely. So okay. Spring and summer. <laughs> no commitment on that. Let's uh, take a call from Victoria here in Toronto. Hi, Victoria. Hi there, Libby. It's nice talking with you. Nice talking with you. Go ahead. Um, I drive to work downtown. I come across Bloor Street and then down Spadina in the morning, and it's dark out. And my problem is the street lights are either burnt out or the ball, it, you know, the pardon me, the strength is so low, the road is dark, and you can't see the pothole until you're through it. Have you uh, damaged your car because of that? I haven't damaged my car, but I've, you know, ran through them and, you know, cursed the gods out there because, it, you know, you just get through it so quickly that, you know, you're, you know, and then it's over. But it'd be nice if the street lights were a little brighter, that you could see the road. Uh, it seems like a good point. Thank you very much for your call. Teresa, what do you have to say about that? Since you mentioned people driving through our concern, especially if it's a road that they often take on, as Vince mentioned, right, 311 is a great service. Uh, to report things in the city of Toronto. So especially if lights are burnt out, um, even if you know where a pothole is, right, reporting it is the best way to get something fixed. Um, you know, we, we do our campaign, but it's a bit of a longer term uh, and, and a bigger roadway issue. These these little things that pop up along the road, a regular pothole, a burnt out light, and the city's pretty quick to address them. Well, uh, the thing about low lights, I think uh, that's an environmental thing. These are more environmentally friendly lights. They're just lower light. Am I wrong? Vince might be able to, I don't know if Vince <laughs> can respond to that one. Certainly. Um, yes, there has been a transition towards using more environmentally friendlier lights, as you said, Libby. Absolutely. Um the illumination is within a standard that we do have to follow uh, in order to be um, in order to be safe, in order for the roads to be passable and safe to navigate. So there is a standard that we do must adhere to. But you're absolutely right, Libby, that um, 
it's been a few years in the making where we have, with Toronto Hydro, transitioned uh, many of the uh, streetlights to uh, more environmentally conscious uh, lighting. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about the standard is that who decides that the standard is the right standard? I mean, whoever decided that, but I think Victoria's point is that maybe for some drivers don't find it bright enough. So, you're right, there is a standard that is developed by the Ministry of Transportation. Uh, so it is a provincial standard that uh, municipalities across Ontario must adhere to. But um, as Teresa said, if there is a specific area that may seem dimmer than normal, then please report to 311, and we will have our staff investigate to ensure that uh, the light is properly lit and um, isn't, isn't, um, isn't broken, and we'll repair it if necessary. Okay, let's take a call from Rick in Guelph. Hi, Rick. Hi, Libby. Go ahead. You're on the air. Okay. Uh, I've got complaints about two roads in Guelph here. And one is so bad, it's actually scheduled for reconstruction starting in April. And that's Metcalf. But the other one is uh, York Road between Watson Parkway and uh, Victoria Road. It's uh, quite a busy stretch. It is terrible. Well, I, I I don't think we can ask Vince about that because it's in Guelph. But uh, I think yeah. the the problem, you know, the weather was everywhere in the province. Ergo, the problem is probably everywhere. Rick, thanks for your call and good luck uh, getting around that. <laughs> All right, thanks, Libby. I, I I can say York Road has been on. Uh, a regional uh, list in, in terms of we, we put out the top 10 Ontario, but then we also do regional lists. And York Road in Guelph has been, um, was it was it in the 2021 uh, list uh, last year? So um, your caller highlights a, a popular road that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think uh, here in Toronto, we've got Eglinton and usually Dufferin's on there. I don't know if it was on last year. Yeah. In 2021, we actually saw only two Toronto roads make the entire provincial list, which is a huge reduction, actually. So kudos to the city. Uh, normally, they have about seven out of the 10 roads. And in 2021, it was Eglinton Avenue East and Eglinton Avenue West. Now, there have been some sections, I think, um, that have been you know fixed a little bit or, or, or patched. Um, but of course, that's subject to, a, there's a bigger project going on there. And it's, I think, kind of hard to fix when you've got major construction because of the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. Okay, we're uh, basically out of time. Uh, what would you like to leave us with, Vince Sparaza? Well, again, if anyone is aware of a pothole, please report it to the city, uh, 311. There are many ways you can do it, by phone, online. We now have an app, um, and we will get to that pothole, depending on the location, within days. Um, but I would just echo what Teresa said. If everyone, please follow the speed limits, drive cautiously, be aware of your surroundings, um, recognizing that uh, this is the season for potholes. So just be very aware and drive, drive carefully and follow the speed limit. And Teresa? So we encourage your listeners to go to caaworstroads.com and have their say. Uh, you know, we'll compile the list, but we also speak to our, our friends in municipal government and regional governments to highlight the pain points of their constituents. Uh, we've seen lots of great action from municipalities wanting to address, uh, you know, where, you know, maybe move move around some of their fixes from when they originally scheduled to address those pain points. So caaworstroads.com until April 19th is where you can vote. Okay. Thank you so much, Teresa DeFelice and Vince Sferraza. We appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thank you. Right. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, the most immediate result, we think, from that Liberal NDP alliance is a new dental program. And we will try to figure out how it's going to work, if it's going to work, and for whom it is going to work. When we return, let me give you the numbers before we go to break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. How do you feel about getting some help with your dental bills? It looks like that might be the first thing we are likely to see as a result of this week's liberal NDP pact in Ottawa, though uh, it's going to start off very small and limited. Uh, So it apparently has the potential to benefit millions of Canadians who often don't see a dentist because of the costs, and it can result in significant savings for eligible families who pay out of pocket. So according to the broad strokes, it would cover middle-class people and not just those with low income. For instance, a family that makes less than $90,000 a year and doesn't have dental insurance would be eligible, and families and individuals making less than $70,000 a year would not have to make co-payments. So what do you think, and uh, would that be helpful? The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free one. 866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Carlos Quinones, professor in the Department of Dentistry um, and the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto, and Dr. Aaron Bury, the interim CEO of the Canadian Dental Association. Hello, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. see you today. So let us begin with Dr. Quinones. Uh, on the surface of it, it sounds like it could help a lot of people. Yeah, I think it can. It's a long time coming, uh, a much needed uh, uh, opportunity and a much needed program. And I, and, and I applaud um, policymakers for moving in this direction. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot of people who can't cover their dental costs end up in emergency because of it. Yeah, we, we know here in Ontario where the best data uh, is available that, um, um, let's just say, about 30,000 visits every year to emergency departments for for essentially toothaches, um, and then uh, 130 or so uh, around there. Don't quote me exactly on the numbers, but uh, visits to physician offices for, for, for toothaches where, you know, these conditions are not are not treated. Um, you know, these conditions need to be treated in dental offices. And so, again, inefficient, ineffective use of resources, um, you know, leads to prescribing of antibiotics. And we know antibiotic stewardship is a big issue. Leads to prescribing of, of opioid medications or narcotics. And we know that that is not a great thing either. So, again, this has an opportunity to really, to really uh, fill some gaps in our existing oral health care system and then also um, uh, limit the inefficient and ineffective use of scarce healthcare resources. Dr. Burry, as with everything else, the devil's in the details, right? Absolutely. Um, so at this point, you know, very happy to see an announcement uh, with the federal government putting money into dentistry. This is uh, long overdue, I think, in terms of, of that particular investment. So Canada underinvests you know, virtues other other countries, but certainly the devil really is in the details. And I think on our end, that's why we think there is good infrastructure set up already within the provinces. And so we'd like to see uh, some of the improvements in the local uh, provincial plans before we start uh, trying to create something else or something brand new. There are some existing things that work fairly well, but need a lot of improvement. This is a great, it would be a great start. Okay, well, uh, I can tell you here in Ontario, what we have is very limited. It is for people who are 65 and over, and the income requirements are for a single person, you have to make less than $22,200 and a couple 37100 So uh, really what the feds are proposing really would reach a lot more people. Dr. Quinones. Yeah, I very much agree. You know, I, I do want to say that I also agree with Aaron's position that uh, we we significantly underfund dental care in this province and across the country. You know, if you compare us internationally, 
um, you know, the average uh, OECD or, or Organization for Economic Cooperation Development Nation or the rich Western nations invest uh, uh, 33 cents out of every dental care dollar is, is paid for by government here in Canada. It's about four to six cents. And here in Ontario, it's, uh, you know, one or two cents, uh, maybe, maybe that low by this point. So we have a long way to go. Um, um, so I do feel that we need to make more investments. But as you say, this will reach much higher on the income spectrum and address a, a major gap in, in dental care coverage and access, which is, uh, you know, working poverty, which is uh, middle income folks who, who um, may not have any type of insurance. So uh, we, we need to do a lot here. And, uh, and I hope this is just the start. Well, uh, you know, apparently 80% of people are covered through their workplace plans. And, and one of the caveats is, you know, don't mess with that as you're trying to put people onto a public system. But uh, not everybody, even middle class people are covered. Let's hear from Bridget in Toronto. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Libby. Um, yeah, I, I'm so glad they're doing this. I actually am self-employed and in my 50s and don't uh, qualify for anything in terms of dental. I've been paying out of pocket for at least two, well, three or four years. Um, I have a root canal coming up next week, what fun, and that's $1,500. So I, I'd be interested, so I'm glad they're doing it. I'd be interested in knowing how will it, what will it look like? Is this, I mean, will we be able to claim it on our taxes? Um, what would be the method? That the, You know, you ask very good questions. Uh, my general criticism is that uh, for all kinds of programs, you know, there's a great big fancy announcement in Ottawa or at Queen's Park, and there has been absolutely no groundwork in terms of how the thing would actually work. Am I being overly harsh, Dr. Bury? Well, I think at this point, the government hasn't even begun to reach its first step. So there's a lot of, I think, uh, areas and a lot of work to be done. And I think the first thing is making sure that the government understands what the gaps are currently in the country. And that's certainly something we're going to help with, is to fill in that information, just as you outlined before, gaps in terms of what exists there in programs, where they could be expanded and to help more people. Uh, so, yes, there are definitely a lot of work to be done to understand the whole issue. Again, it's a good thing to see us moving uh, from that four to six cents investment to a greater level investment in Canada. And these are these are the first steps. We're very early days in this conversation at this point. Uh, Bridget, uh the first tranche of it is is going to cover children, so that won't help you unless you have children in that age bracket. Uh, so it's going to work its way up. But uh, you just heard uh, the doctor that we cannot. Uh, there are no details yet on this, and uh, we'll have to see how it works out. And on top of everything else, we already had the Quebec Premier Francois Legault saying that it's going to step on provincial toes. Let's take a call from Teresa in North York. Hello, Teresa. Oh, good day, everyone. Uh, happy Toronto Day. Uh, we're all community conscious. Uh, yes, uh, as far as my fixed pension, uh, I do believe I meet, meet the below the 20 G mark. Now, would my private dentist here in North York, would they be able to access the information for what kind of work that may I may um, get, like if general or, or are we going to make more announcements through through your uh, people? Okay, are you over sixty five? Yes, dear. Okay, so you're eligible for what is available now, and maybe uh, Doctor Quinones. I don't know if you can get it through your private dentist. I'm not quite sure how it works. Uh, can someone uh, tell that to Teresa? Yeah, so Teresa, uh, based on based on your reported level of income, you'd be eligible for the Ontario Seniors Dental Care Program, which is currently active. Um, but you won't be able to go to your um, existing dentist. You're going to have to look, uh, talk to your uh, local public health unit um, as they may have a clinic uh, uh, themselves or a clinic located in the community health center. And, and I think this is one of the challenges, for example, with this particular program that um, it, it doesn't provide care in, in um, private dental clinics. 
Um, you know, we know that people have to be able to access dental care uh, where they're most accustomed to, whether it's in a public clinic or a private clinic. Uh, so we, we would hope that those options become available as the Ontario Seniors Dental Care Program uh, matures. Uh, but yeah, based on what your, what your, your, your level of income, um, you should be, uh, you should be able to get some care uh, based on the, on the Thank you for your positive feedback. And yeah, I'm going to try. Um, there's George Brown College, I believe. They they have those clinics that may facilitate this. And I uh, good luck with all. Everything's in the works. Uh, thank God for spring and all our Torontonians. We we can uh, look forward to better things. To okay, come. Teresa. And thanks for my call. Thanks uh, and good luck with that. Um, we have got to take another break. We will be back with more on this, and that is the the first tranche of that Liberal NDP agreement, uh, coverage for dental work, some dental work. Uh, how's it going to work? We don't know yet, but uh, we're trying to figure out as much as we do know. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the plan for a dental care program, which will be the first thing we see resulting from that liberal NDP alliance Packed, whatever you want to call it. And interesting, our last caller is eligible, it looks like, for the current program, which is for low-income seniors. But it has to be done through a public health clinic. So, uh, Dr. Burry, is it clear that people accessing this program will be able to go to their usual dentist like we can all go to our usual doctor? So this at this point, none of this information is clear. And of course, the, what's been announced is talking about improving care for zero to 12. But again, this is an area where we believe that there's opportunity to expand and improve these programs. This is one of the gaps in terms of looking at a program which is likely very underfunded that needs more uh, investment and federal investment can certainly go here to expand both what the income level, who's eligible and what services they could actually receive. Well, but it's also a question of where they receive it. Um, again, there's a big difference between having to get in at a, a, a limited number of public health clinics and going to your own dentist that you've been, you know, going to for a long time, presumably. Right. And again, if you have that ability with more investment, again, part of the reason for often for the limitations is there's a limited amount of funding available, so they limit it to a number of clinics. So again, with federal investment, that's certainly something the province of Ontario could look at in terms of expanding. That's again why we believe there needs to be this investment in existing programs to improve them and to make them better, given that the infrastructure is already there. Now, I'm told, I gather, that one of the other possible problems with this, there are enough dentists, we have about 25,000 dentists, but not enough hygienists. Well, in terms of, of dentists and this, again, with this gradual increase, generally the markets will, will uh, adjust. And in terms of hygienists, uh, this is something that from our uh, data shows it's not consistent across the country. There are parts of the country well-served, areas like Ontario, certain parts of, of certainly the major urban areas. There are some issues in terms of the numbers of hygienists, but again, this is a gradual increase over a number of years. And generally speaking, the market can adjust as the uh, as government increases the funding. Mm-hmm. And uh, why would there be a shortage of hygienists? So in terms of Again, uh, the um, in terms of the market and what is happening out there, uh, COVID has certainly disrupted a number of things. There were certain trends, but what we've seen with COVID is that many individuals have chosen to leave the dental industry for various reasons. Uh, obviously, we're in an area where you can't work from home, and so there are many more options available for people who are looking for employment including hygienists, and that ability to work perhaps part-time rather than full-time and so on. So those shifts in terms of employment patterns have had an impact on the industry. Okay, let us take a call from John in Peterborough. Hello, John. Hi, how are you, Libby? Fine, how are you? 
Yeah, I'm just listening here. You know, I hope they run this better than they do the one for Ontario. Because I have a friend, he's in the lower income, and I had to help him to do it about a year and a half ago. He still hasn't seen a dentist. Oh, you mean to uh, to sign up for that? Yeah? Signed up, got it all done. They were supposed to have an appointment, and they called him and said, nope, we can't bring you in. Uh, put him back till this June. Now, that was a year and a half ago. Hmm. Right? And I think maybe the pro- like I hear you talking about, yes, they do have to go to a clinic. I'm lucky I have a friend as a dentist. Okay? But they have to go to the clinic, and uh, as I understand it, you have to go to their dentist. Yeah. So I don't understand why there's not a system whereby you could go to a dentist you know or where you're comfortable, whatever, and they give so much money. Tell uh, about. Well, we're wondering if uh, that's how this is going to work. We It's very new, so we don't know how it's going to work. But, yeah, I can I can see why that's a problem. Yes, it is. You know. And, it, you know, it's just, but I do know that people in that industry that were actually working for the different regions, I know many have quit. Many have quit, including bosses. Well, the yeah, there was a long time when they basically couldn't work. Uh, John, thanks for your call. You take care. Uh, let's hear from Martha in Etobicoke. Hi, Martha. Hi. Yeah, I've got the experience, uh, you know, going, to, I had about three or four of them that I went that, uh, you know, it's uh, government, you know, that sends you here and there. And I have bad experiences when, uh, you know, the things that they, uh, they didn't do it right. And they went at a root canal when I did not need that and I didn't allow it. And so I end up, uh, I'm paying and uh, uh, I'm putting uh, on the income tax as much as I could get, you know, back some money. But uh, this is no good what they're offering. I know that. And they tell you where you're going. And it's always so crowded. And it's like uh, uh, speed work, you know, one after another. And uh, it's really awful. Uh, and they don't have, I don't think, even all the, the equipment they're supposed to have. Uh, I, you know, I feel sorry if you if you go there, if they're going to go there, because uh, they're not going to get the best treatment. I'll tell you right now, Martha. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about your experience. Thank you for telling us about it. No, I'm telling you, I, I end up paying. I'm going to, you know, where I I rather pay and squeeze every dollar and give up something else just to be able to get my teeth fixed properly. And not like, for example, like one tooth, you know, I just needed them to just add a little bit of uh, filling. And he says, oh, we'll just file the other one. I didn't want shorter tooth, tooth, you know. So, you know, there was different kind, you know, I, I said, that's it. I had enough. Okay, Martha, thanks for your call. Um, yeah, I guess, um, uh, Dr. Quinones, do you have any uh, response to that? Yeah, I'm very sorry to hear about Martha's experience, but I can also say that there's a lot of people that have, have had good experiences. Um, um, but at the same time, you know, Martha highlights a very important point. Um, you know, if, if you have limited options in terms of where you're able to see um, uh, a dentist, that, you know, that, that has implications for the, for the people we're supposed to be caring about, you know, the, the end user group, people like Martha. The gentleman before uh, talked talked about his friend. I think one of the challenges there is, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has had significant impacts on the public dental health care sector as it has on the private dental health care sector. Uh, you know, but on the public health side, um, many people that worked there were, were um, you know, transferred over to deal with the pandemic. So those clinics weren't able to run, um, you know, at full capacity or as efficiently as possible. So definitely some challenges. And like I said earlier on, um, as the Ontario Senior Dental Care Program matures, I hope I hope these uh, uh, these types of challenges are correct. And Dr. Burry, do you think there will be uh, some opposition from dentists? I imagine that as this thing rolls out, if if uh, it can be done through private dentists, uh, there's going to be a cap on the amounts and, and all of that. And uh, that doesn't really exist now. So I think in terms of uh, across the country, you have different uh, programs that are working 
much better and others where they're really challenged. So I think our hope would be to see that better balance in terms of uh, particularly those provinces who've made their investments and they've got programs which the dentists are finding that within those programs they're actually able to look after the patients they're seeing. I think that's our biggest concern and what we would be wanting to see. I think those are some of the challenges with uh, programs like we have in Ontario when they're underfunded. The dentists really can't provide the kind of care that they want to give. And which which provinces do you think have good programs? So right now, uh, for example, Prince Edward Island has a, a probably one of the better programs in terms of looking after uh, individuals who are in this category. Uh, it provides the right level of investment, and generally, you're seeing you know people on the island are getting good care as a result of that program. It's relatively new. The provincial government made a decision in the last couple of years to do that level of investment. Yeah, that's a and- tiny province. It's smaller than Scarborough. It's true, but it's still it's a province, and I think it's an example of when you set the targets correctly uh, and you, and the goal objective, then you get a good outcome. Versus when you underfund a program such as the one uh, that we have in Ontario, which essentially uh, means some of the issues that you're hearing about on this on this program, and it's unfortunate, but this is what happens when you underinvest in a program. There are any other uh, provinces that you think are doing it well? Uh, there are other programs where they have uh, decent programming. Certainly at this particular point, uh, Newfoundland has improved some of their options. They continue to look at it. Uh, Quebec has some programs particularly that are, are certainly interesting to look at. British Columbia has some very interesting programs, as does Alberta. But again, these governments would like to expand it to more people in need, and that's where uh, the federal investment could certainly help. Okay, uh, we're almost out of time here. Dr. Quinones, what would you like to leave us with? I would like to leave you with the same thought that, you know, if you look across the country and even if you go internationally, you will find programs that are working, programs that are running effectively, um, you know, best practices that, that we can leverage. Um, and I would actually also like to say that this federal uh, announcement provides an opportunity to think about some of the things that have challenged uh, um, oral health care programs across the country. You know, maybe it's time to get us all on the same page so that we have the same income thresholds so that we cover the same things and essentially ultimately, you know, keep the end user always in mind because that's what counts. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Brewery, last 20 seconds to you. So again, we're really looking forward to working with the federal government to bring something that I think would uh, be world-class and something that uh, everybody can be proud of. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we will be talking about this a lot more. Obviously, there is a great deal of interest out there and uh, very little information so far. Thank you so much, Dr. Carlos Quinones and Dr. Aaron Bury. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care. And uh, that's all the time we have for today. Remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. If you couldn't get through, if there's something else you want to talk about, tomorrow is the day to call back. Uh, lots of interest in this dental plan, and we can talk more about it tomorrow. Right now, that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.